John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Joining us is tight end Will Disley, who's made the incredible comeback from the Achilles tendon injury of last year. And I don't want to spend too much time on the injury because, again, you it was uh, I know how tough it was for you to battle. But just kind of give us an update. How how do th- things feel right now, and how do you feel right now, now that you've got two games in the book as far as your health? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing I can say is I feel normal, which is, you know, kind of surprised, you know, going through the last, last two years that we've been through and, um, we just did a fantastic job rehabbing and, um, it's nice to be back playing ball, doing the thing that I love. And, um, it was a long road. I didn't do it alone, like I've said the whole time, but, um, you know, just thankful to be playing football again. Yeah, no doubt about it. And playing well. I mean, at what point did you have the confidence that you'd be there for the start of the regular season? Uh, that's a good question. I think, uh, as soon as I went down, I you kind of have to form that, that mindset that I'm going to be ready week one. And, uh, you know, it gives you something to, to strive for, to attack, and uh, you know, but also be conscious of the whole time and, and treat you with respect. So I don't know if there was any one point in the rehab that I was like, you know what, I'm gonna be ready for week one, or if it was the whole time that uh, you know I just had that mindset of I'm gonna work as hard as I can to be ready for week one. So can't really give you a day, but uh, you know, it was every day. Yeah. Final question on that one is: there, Was there anything different that you did to kind of speed up the recovery, as far as you know, different type of workouts, different type of treatment, different type of training? You know, honestly, I think it was a lot of mindset stuff. Uh, just having that belief and, and just meditating on it, and, um, you know, trying to have the, the most positive mindset I could every day to attack the workout um, was a lot different, um, you know, this year than last year. Kind of because of the patience, you know, with the Achilles, uh, it was a lot of healing and, and just not messing it up. And so I had a lot of time to just sit and reflect and, and really visualize what I wanted to get done this year. And um, so that gave me the time to, to really attack the mental side of, of what, who I want to be and what I want to be about. Well, let's get into the football part of this. How pleased are you that uh, there's about a 30% increase in two tight end sets? You know, because I know in the last year, it was about 11% two tight ends. This year, it's 31%, almost a three, you know, three times the difference. Uh, how, how interesting was that? Did you think it was going to go like this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a credit to our room. And uh, it starts with Pat, does a great job getting us ready for the week. And, um, you know, just the, just the tools that we have in our room, you know, from top down, everyone's, everyone's ready. Everyone can do everything. I think that's really dangerous when you put a tight end room together. Um, it's not a bunch of specialists out there that can only catch or only block. It's, it's guys that can do it all. So you can throw, you know, any, any variety of two tight ends out there and we can all do really fun stuff. So I'm not surprised that those numbers are up. Um, gives, you know, it gives me, you know, great pride that the tight ends are, um, need to be on the field and, and it's helping us win games. So, um, we'll just keep it rolling. There was two trends that were going to be happening offensively in the NFL this year. More teams were going to copy the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, you know, running outside zone offense. And then the next one was going to be two tight ends. And I had a conversation this summer with Brian Billick. And I asked Brian, I was like, which one would you prefer? And he says, oh, it's, it's easy two tight ends and the reason for that he says is that uh you know you, you it's less predictable of what you're going to do whether it's going to be a run or whether it's going to be a pass is that what you're kind of seeing right now now with the big increase in two tight end sets yeah i think you nailed it on the head i mean you're the numbers guy i'm just the player but uh 
you know, it's it's nice to be out there and doing both, like I said, you know, and that's the thing, that's the cool thing about our room is it's it's really selfless guys and guys that want to, you know, help the run game, help Chris and, and Los and, um, you know, but also want to contribute in the pass game and can contribute in the pass game. And so, um, you know, it puts defenses in a real bind where they want to go base or, or nickel against us. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of options off of it. The one thing that I noticed on Sunday, and of course, uh, you know, everybody took the tack that uh, you know the Patriots had, you know, three of the best man-to-man coverage cornerbacks in the National Football League. I mean, they're really good at that strength, but they stayed pretty much nickel the whole game. And against the two tight end sets, I think that's where the advantage came in because you can say uh, what you want about the Patriots' defense, which was good. They still gave up 154 yards rushing, 30 rushing attempts, and I think a lot of that is because now you have two big bodies or at least one extra bigger body going at that and if you're going to stay nickel and do what they do then you have a better chance to run the ball right yeah i mean i think uh you know you see around the league you know teams are building defenses for um you know speed and, and a passing and attack offense and um you know we're committed to running the football here in seattle so um it gives us a leg up when 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 teams want to go nickel so you saw that on, on sunday night one thing that uh, you talk about the room, which is real good with Luke Wilson and everybody else, uh, you know, but the one thing is you probably get the advantage more than anybody else. What things can you learn from Greg Olson? Yeah, Greg's been a fantastic addition. And I think, uh, you know, he, you know, he's not secretive about the information they've learned over the years, just the way he visualizes the game really. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was fun to see him learn the offense. Um, and see the questions that he asks and why are we doing things that way. And it's really kind of been eye-opening for me as a player to, to ask, to see those questions get asked and then also, you know, kind of put that into play in the game of, okay, well, we're running this, this pass concept for this reason. I need to run my route a certain way. And so that's been really cool, um, just kind of taking my game to the next level. And um, I'm sure as the year goes on, we're going to learn a lot more from Greg and, and hopefully he can learn some stuff from us. One of the scouting reports on him is how good he is against zone defenses. And, you know, certainly with a quarterback like Russell Wilson, you know, sometimes you got to stay away if you're a defense from man, because if he goes man, then all of a sudden, you know, Russell Wilson can just take the ball and run it. What makes uh, him, Greg Olson, look so good in zone? Yeah, I think that was the first tip he gave our rookies was if it's zone and you're, you're open, just stay open. So uh, it's not tough. You just, you just find the void and, and, and sit it down and, uh, you know, that's just, it goes back to his knowledge of the concepts and why we're running it and um, just the smart football player that he is, and, and we're all learning that every day. Talk about your game, because the one thing that's so good about you, you're good in routes, you're good catching the football, and you're also good blocking. I mean, you're complete. Yeah, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are just as big and as fast as me and um, just as athletic, and I think it's a want-to in the run game, and then it's just uh, – going out there and executing, and when you have three throwing you the ball, it makes things really easy. So I'm um, just going to try and continue to be the best tight end I can be in, in both phases and um, help this team win games. How dangerous is this offense? I think we can go the sky's the limit for us. You know, we got a good crew, a uh, real humble crew, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hungry, to, hungry to win some games. Yeah, and then finally, I mean, you see the mobility and the uh, elusiveness of Tyler Lockett. What does it mean also to have a big physical wide receiver like DK Metcalf who can take a defensive player of the year and just kind of, you know, shake him down and you're trying to shake each other down. What does that do as a tight end when you're out there with two tight ends and you see DK Metcalf do what he does? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those two guys, you just mentioned it, and even and Demo has his own specialty too. But, um, you know, no, he's one of the best receivers in the game, just the way he runs his routes and the speed that he can he can accelerate to get open. And then to complement that with DK, and just a young upcoming guy and also hungry to be, you know, to be great and having that mindset. And it stems from the leadership that we have. And so, um, you know, it's a great, great compliment along with the tight end room. It's, it's, it's a really fun offense to play in right now. Well, Will, it's a great compliment to you to see how you made it back and how well you're playing. Hey, thanks for joining us. I appreciate that, John. You have a great day, man. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how this all lines up in the game on Sunday because, uh, as I mentioned uh, to Will, uh, they've gone from an 11% uh, two tight end sets to 31%. And you can see it gets an unpredictable factor. But also what you're looking at is a, a totally young cornerback res- group, particularly if uh, Diggs is not able to play. We already know the two starters are going to be out there. So will there be more of a temptation to go three receivers or stay two tight ends? I would imagine that uh, yeah, I think they'll stay more at the two tight ends because, again, the secondary for the uh, Cowboys could really be in trouble. And we've watched it all year long so far in the two weeks. You know, <clears throat> If you're going to be young at cornerback in Atlanta – if you're young at cornerback, certainly you saw that with Dallas last week, giving up 39 points. You watch it with Minnesota, uh, you know you can really have some damage done to you. So that's going to be one to follow, and what we expect to be a pretty high-scoring game. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to get out the report card. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for The Report Card with the Professor. And The Report Card, we get out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take social media comments. And also, we'll take the voices and attach a grade to it. Boy, howdy, for the last three days, has been nice enough to be here and hand it off here with The Report Card. So, boy, howdy, what do we have? Let's get started with some uh, drama that came out of last week's Seahawks game. You know, Quadre Diggs got thrown out for a hit across the middle, um, and he'll be back this week. But Jamal Adams jokingly told Quandre Diggs that he's got a method to help him uh, not make that decision in the future. You know, I'm just excited to play with him. Hopefully, uh, you know, I told, I told Diggs, I said if he uh, gets ejected again, uh, I'm going to delete his number and I'll follow him off of Instagram and Twitter. So uh, if, he, if he leaves us out there to dry again, you know, we're going to have some problems. What do you think of Jamal Adams' creative way to incentivize him to play a little safer in the secondary? Yeah, I, I give it an A because, again, you can see he's joking. You can see they've got a good relationship, working relationship, and, uh, and particularly Jamal knows he needs digs out there. I mean, you saw how they tried to expose his pass-covering problems by throwing into the middle of the field. Well, that won't happen as much if you have uh, digs out there you know, ready to come up and just destroy anybody trying to make a catch like that. So I'm going to give it an A. I'm I agree. I'm going to give it an A, too. I mean, a lot of times I think you see guys sort of turn a turn a blind eye to that kind of stuff and be like, oh, that guy was robbed. That's not fair. And really just sort of point the blame in other places and wish that the game was different. But this is the way the game is. And I think it's cool that uh, Jamal Adams showing a little leadership, showing some fun to say, yeah, we want to do whatever it takes to keep that guy on the field. If it means uh, just being a little more careful, 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to help because we need Quandre Diggs, and they absolutely do, don't they, John? Oh, yeah, because you can see the difference. I mean, you know, he came here, and what they didn't know, that he had a little bit of leg problems, and so it took him a while just to kind of get on board. But once he finally settled in those last five games, the turnover numbers started to really increase, and you can see how great. I mean, again, he's not Earl Thomas, but he sure reminds you of the things that Earl Thomas used to do. Let's move forward to a story coming out of Thursday Night Football last night. Uh, what an exciting matchup between the Dolphins <laughs> and the Jaguars. Oh, uh, the Jaguars got their lunch handed to them, 31-13. to 13. Uh, After the game, Ryan Fitzpatrick was asked by Joe Thomas if Gardner Minshew needs to grow a beard now. Does Gardner have to shave his mustache, or does he have to grow a beard now? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if he can grow a beard. That's what I was saying. With the, I, I'm sure he can, but... The mustache is his look. He rocks it. Uh, saw him in pregame warm-up with the cut-off sleeves. I mean, he's got a good thing going, but I'll, I'll stick with the beard and the chest hair and the uh, you know the senior citizen look. What do you think of the suggestion? Uh, is it uh, is it right for Gardner Mitchell to keep the look, or should he have to uh, pay a penance and make a change? No, I think he keeps the look. I mean, it works. I mean, why why make a change? And I, I just think it's great to see uh, the joking around that uh, Fitzpatrick can do, and it, it made for kind of a fun couple of days listening to two of them go back and forth on facial hair and all those different things. So I'm going to give him a B. I certainly have to give him an A for uh, his performance because he just ripped apart a bad Jacksonville defense, and you have to kind of give a D, I guess, to Gardner Minshew, but again, I just think that he's playing on a bad football team. Yeah, it's kind of gross. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's bad. I don't know what's going to take for the Jacksonville Jaguars to ever become good, and I can honestly say the same thing for the Dolphins. Although with two of there, I maybe have some hope that they have something. But as far as this goes, um, a plus for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Cool response. He knows that he's sort of in the twilight of his career, anyways. Um, so this is cool that he's just enjoying his time, having fun. Uh, cool for Gardner Minshew to have his thing and stick with it and be confident in who he is. So I like that, even though I hate the uh, lip caterpillars that he's got going on. But, um, yeah, I- I'll give it an A. This whole situation is great. And, um, you know, the only way to really enjoy that Thursday Night Football game was to embrace some of the sideshow aspect of it. And uh-huh. so I'm glad we all could do that. Yeah, no doubt. But, boy, I tell you what, uh, how bad was Jacksonville's defense? It's, it's just embarrassing, John. It's embarrassing when a team does that to their own roster, and it does it to their own roster by trade and by drafting. It just, it just seems like there's no set plan on what they want to do. No, and of course, uh, and it's it's not like they're tanking because you realize, you know, Doug Marone's on the hot seat. He'll get fired if they have a losing, a bad losing season, and probably the general manager Dave Caldwell will get fired. So it's like, you know, do these guys want to put themselves in a position to be fired? No, but right now uh, things look pretty bad as far as their talent base. Well, uh, speaking of uh, of wide receivers, as we have throughout the week, uh, David Moore joined Bob David Moore yesterday for the Seahawks Player Spotlight. And uh, he he gave some insight into why he didn't think twice about taking a pay cut to stay in Seattle. Really, I'm just like, this is a crazy year, man. This is all wild. This is COVID 2020, you know, this hits me. I'm like, all right, well, look, it's a chance, it's an opportunity to stay here and be a part of a great group. I know the group is going to be great. And I knew for a fact I'd have fun here. And I love it here. My best friends are here. I wouldn't want to leave at all, so... The whole little pay cut deal wasn't. When I got it, I was just like, "All right, that's all right." I still get paid. <laughs> I still get to play the game that I love, and I get to be around the people I love. So, it wasn't really a thing to it. Honestly, it was a decision I made in probably thirty, probably a split second, like as soon as they said it. 
What do you think of David Moore's justification? Uh, I, I like it. Again, what ha- what happened, of course, is that when you're in the fourth year and you get X number of playing time, you get over like 35% in a year, uh, then you get a chance to get an escalator. Okay, the escalator take his base salary from 825 to $2.133 million. And, uh, you know, that, of course, uh, is a nice check, but it also makes you a little bit more vulnerable, too. I mean, everybody's looking to save cap room and all these different things. And so it put him in a position. It's like, okay, he might have to get, get cut. Like, for example, he watched Brandon Jackson get cut, and then they brought him back, and they gave him a little bit of a signing bonus, and David Moore got a $75 million signing bonus. So I think he was just smart about things, and the great thing is he gets to stay on the team that he likes. He's an unrestricted free agent next year. We'll see what happens, but uh, no, I think it was smart. So I'm going to give him a, an A, because I think that he he kind of knew which way it could go. And I think that, you know, in particularly in a year like this where you have a pandemic, you, you, you have to go around. You don't know if there's going to be any guarantees that you're going to get a, a, any kind of money or anything like that. I mean, look at uh, the Devontae Freeman. You know, Devontae Freeman held out, turned down a $3 million deal by Seattle, and now had to end up signing for $1.375 million. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the coolest responses I've heard from a player dealing with a situation that nobody wants to face. Nobody wants to face looking at the number on their contract and the team coming to them and saying, hey, you know what, um, we're going to need you to take about half of that if you mm-hmm. want to stay around. That's a hard, hard decision. And how many players around the league throughout history have just turned uh, you know, turned up their nose and said, forget that, I'm not worth that, I'm out. And David Moore, I think, shows some really cool maturity and perspective to say, you know what, this is probably the situation I'm going to have regardless of where I go, this number that the Seahawks are now offering me. Why don't I take what I have and know that I'm going to get some opportunities here and they're going to reward my loyalty here. So I think this is a really, really cool thing all around. I'm glad he uh, verbalized his thinking on this. I think it's a really, really cool insight into a way that you can take a bad situation and make the most out of it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Last one here we want to go with. Uh, The Jets got some situations going on with injuries at their wide receiver spots. Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perriman, Chris Hogan, all dealing with injuries. And... uh, Jets coach Adam Gase told Greg Joyce of the New York Post, whoever's got a pulse right now, we're ready to go. What do you make of that answer? Uh, desperation. I mean, because, uh, and it's true because they certainly don't have much. I mean, it's a pretty bad situation uh, in, the, in the sense that uh, you don't have much left. I mean, they had to rule out two more wide receivers today. That's not good. You know, they're not, they had, I mean, they were down, they started the game last week because of injuries with four wide receivers and two got hurt. And so Perryman, I think, is out. Crowder's out. Uh, there's, you know, you got the problems in the backfield. You know, they had to take 85-year-old Frank Gore and run him more than ever. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a disaster. So I think right now, everything with Adam Gaze is either a D or an F. It was at least a good, funny response, which I guess could be nice, but still not good. Yeah. You know, the Jets are doing something that I always sort of had a difficult time with the Mariners doing, which is seeing a gaping hole and then trying to fill it with below-average players for average money. That's a recipe for disaster, John. They don't have any marquee players on the outside. I don't think they have any marquee players really on their offensive side of their roster, save for Sam Darnold, potentially. So, yeah, this is a bad situation they've created for themselves. I'll give a C for the answer because what's Adam Gase going to do? But this is just a bad, bad deal for the Jets, John. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Not good. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we're going to go on the Vizzy Heart Seltzer text line and take your text questions. Text us at 710-710. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 
It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Time for text questions on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. Text us at 710-710. Boy, howdy. What do we got? We got a lot of worry words, John. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, the text story's worried on a Friday heading into Dallas. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, from the 360, they want to know, John, do the Hawks' injuries make you think that they made a mistake on Jadevian Clowney? Uh, I mean, it was it, it, it does. I mean, what a mistake in paying him? No, I mean they they had a certain number, and he he was the one who was reluctant. And my guess is is that they because uh, he wouldn't even counter. That's the thing that was so bad, even though he liked it here and all those different things. I mean, again, this is still as. Okay, the defense ranks 32nd in yards allowed. We know they're giving up some of the biggest numbers and all that stuff. But they're still good enough to have double-digit leads in the last two games against two really good quarterbacks, Cam Newton and uh, Matt Ryan. So it's like, stop the panic. I mean, this. let's not go back to the way it was. It's either Jadeveon Clowney or Bust, and if you don't have Clowney, you're not going to do anything. At this, at this stage, thanks to Russell Wilson, the offense, the secondary, I mean, they're still right now considered to be the number one seed. Over panic. John, uh, the 253 also wants to know, what's the status of cornerback Josh Norman? Uh, he's. Uh, we, we don't know about. I don't think he's going to be able to play this week. But he's still got the hamstring injury, so he's been down two weeks. I don't know if there's a chance he can. And he might have a chance to play this week. Uh, I haven't seen Buffalo's injury report yet. More worry warts here on the three one zero. They want to know: uh, Do we believe really that L.J. Collier and Rasheem Green are going to be difference makers off the edge in the NFL? Uh, well, they're not. I mean, they're five techniques, right? So they can be good players. Difference makers, I mean, now you're talking Pro Bowl type of players. Neither are going to be Pro Bowl type of players. I mean, one because understand this. To get a Pro Bowl player when you're winning each year and you're drafting in the 20s is very difficult. There's only going to be one, two, maybe three a year. So it's like you're not going to get that. But as long as you're solid starters. Hey, say what you want about Jermaine Effetti. I mean, he had too many penalties. He struggled in passing situations. But still, you get four years of starting. What you want is from either one Collier or Green, just the ability to be a starter. The 253 wants to know how many more consecutive games would Atlanta have to lose before they fired Dan Quinn? Uh, they probably would have to you know, lose six out of seven. I mean, remember last year they got off to the one and seven start and then turned it around and won six out of the last eight. But I think, you know, Arthur Blank's not one to go and panic. And, and again, who are you going to cover? I mean, who's going to take the job? You're going to give it to Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator. You know, they right now have Jeff Olbrick and uh, Rasheem Green, or uh, Rasheem Morris being the uh, defensive play callers in that. You know, Olbrick calls the early downs and Morris calls the uh, third downs in that. So it's like, uh, you know, it's one thing to make a change. But again, who are you changing to? That's a great point. Uh, keep your text messages rolling in, 710-710, powered by Vizzy Hard Seltzer. The 360 wants to know, John, could this game with the Cowboys be won or lost based on turnovers and takeaways? Because it's kind of seeming like an off-and-on off kind of game. Oh, no question. I mean, that's going to be the key, as it always is. I mean, you know one of the formulas that Pete Carroll has, if you win the turnover battle, you usually win the game. And <clears throat> Russell Wilson's real good at not making the turnovers. You know, Dak Prescott's not bad, but he's going to make more turnovers than Russell Wilson. So, you know, and it, it, what's interesting for the Panic fans right now, think if you're in Dallas and you're now down three cornerbacks, two linebackers, you're you're banged up at the tackle position on offense. I mean, you've got a lot of things going wrong, and now you're going on the road facing right now the right now the MVP quarterback. 
That's a bad situation. Uh, 425, John wants to know from uh, Miles Gaskin. We had a text yesterday about him. What did you make of his performance? 22 carries, 66 yards. No, not great. I mean, but again, I look at the offensive line that he has. I mean, the fact that he got 22 carries, I think that's encouraging. But when you average less than three yards a carry, that's not good. And so... Is he good enough to be a starter? He hasn't proved it yet, although he is starting, but uh, not, a, not a good game. The 253 wants to know, Professor, if gambling's not allowed in the NFL and he didn't lose a bet, how do you explain Stephen Belichick's mullet haircut? <laughs> good. I, I don't know. It's like uh, he's kind of going against the grain. I mean, at least it looks better <laughs> than what Bill Belichick did on Wednesday when it looks like he, you know, his uh, shirt was all tattered and all a mess and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, you've got to respect the mullet. I think that's good. 425 is looking forward, John. They want to know if there's a chance that the Hawks could see Tua Tungavailoa quarterback in from Miami Dolphins against the Hawks next week. I don't think so. I, I think they're going to they're gonna be patient on him because, you know, here's where the problem is. Okay, Justin Herbert gets the chance to start because of the injury to Tyrod Taylor, Okay. And with his punctured lung, okay? So he didn't have the chance to do it, but they're a better team. I mean, you look at what's going on. It's not a good team in Cincinnati, and you can see that, but they believed in Joe Burrow, and they're going to get the start. I mean, if you put uh, Tua out there, I mean, is it going to make them that much better now? Because, I mean, the team's not good. And so it's like, do you want him to go out there to fail? Be patient. See if they can win a couple games and then see where you want to go. But I'd say no. The 253 wants to know, John, what percentage would you give the Hawks to go 6-0 and in their division schedule this year? None. Zero <laughs> percent? Really? Zero. Yeah, wow. the division's too, too good. I mean, the best you're going to go is maybe 4-2, and two, but I can't see them going 6-0 and in a division. You know, I can, I can think they're going to have a very good, particularly <clears throat> if they can get these next two, three games and go to the bye week at 5-0, and oh, then I think they have a chance, you know, to maybe go 8-2 and two in their non-division games. Uh, but uh, to go six and because I mean this, this isn't going to be a fourteen win team, so I'd say none. That's strong. I think that's a, I, I love the bold take. I, I would say that there's probably five percent chance. It's it seems low, but man, if the 49ers end up not being that good, and maybe the Cardinals slip a little bit, and you just find a way. I, oof, I don't know. <laughs> Something gets me excited about it, John. Yeah. Uh, the three six zero wants to know when they're going to see DJ Dallas play at running back for the Hawks. Uh, maybe not for a while. I think it's going to have to have an injury to uh, open things up because, you know, Homer's working on returns. Carlos Hyde's looking good as the backup. Uh, and so at this stage, I'd say, you know, uh, they're not going to rush the rookie in there. I mean, they didn't rush uh, Alton Robinson, but now they're going to have to get him on the field because of all the injuries at defensive end. But uh, I don't think there's any urgency right now to do it, at least from what they're showing. We touched on this earlier with the 49ers, but the 253 wants to know, Professor. Which three or four teams have the worst cap situations from 2021 onwards? Well, I mean, you start in Philadelphia, they're about $71 million over the cap. Then you have New Orleans, you have Atlanta. You know, those three are in really bad shape, uh, all NFC teams, and they're going to have to make a lot of changes and a lot of sacrifices. But those are the three teams right now that I think are in real bad shape. There's a little bit with Green Bay right now. San Francisco, again, they've got enough cap room right now, but not enough cap room to keep everybody. So that's why I think next year there's going to be a big, big turnover in the the NFC. Keep them coming, guys. 710-710, powered by the Vizzy Hard Seltzer Group. Uh, We would love to know 
the 360 says, how many yards and touchdowns you think Russell Wilson's going to have on Sunday? Well, it's going to be over 300. I mean, the question is going to be, do they uh, you know, pass the ball 30-some times, run it? They're gonna, I think may have more balance and all that stuff. So I'd say probably you know, like 24 of 32 uh, for about 310 yards. I like that. The uh, 253 following up on your answer with DJ Dallas wants to know if Alton Robinson is going to play this week. Has to. I mean, right now, it's questionable for Benson Mayoa. It's questionable for Rasheem Green. And so, uh, I mean, out of and everything, and of course, being down uh, Bruce Urban, I mean, he was going to be on the active roster anyways, but now he may get a lot of playing time. The 206 wants to know, Raiders versus Patriots. Who do you got? Uh, I got the uh, Patriots just because they're at home as a cross-country trip. You've got a lot of young receivers uh, that have to go against the experienced cornerbacks. Sure, they're going to be able to run the ball, but I think if you know Cam Newton can play anywhere like he did uh, last week, it's going to be hard for the Raiders to kind of get that victory. Interesting question. Now, it wouldn't have been two weeks ago, but the 425 wants to know today, who has the best defense in the NFC West? The best defense in the NFC West? I think you'd lean toward the Rams, although you know it's it's better than we all thought. That's for sure because nobody thought this defense was going to be as good as many players as they've lost. And we'll see how it can go against Buffalo. Buffalo's been red hot against the Jets and the Dolphins, but I'd say right now I'd lean toward uh, the Rams. Uh, but still, plenty of time ahead. Arizona's better than we ever expected too on defense. We got about 14 people texting in, John. They want to know the answer. Where is Josh Gordon? Uh, probably here in Seattle, someplace waiting for the <laughs> league to, uh, you know, give him a ruling. So it's like, uh, you know, he's he's still around, but unfortunately for him, he hasn't got the uh, chance to go out and do anything because the league's not saying anything or doing anything. It's not good. Are you surprised by that at all, John? Yes. Yeah, because I thought, particularly after two weeks, you know, going into the third week, by Tuesday they'd make some kind of announcement. So you have to wonder, did he fail a test or whatever it is? I mean, you know, they gave Randy Gregory some guidance, and so why don't they do the same thing with him? Last question for us today. The 509 wants to know for Sunday, if it rains, who's got the advantage? Mm, I'd say uh, the Seahawks because if it rains, then you know that you get Russell Wilson in his ten and a quarter inch hands, and so so I think he'd have a little bit more of an advantage. But you know it's not going to be that much. That's what we got for text messages. All right, so coming up next is our daily dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby, John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle. John Clayton, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios, on demand with the seven ten Seattle Sports app. Time for our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. So, Dave, uh, Gardner Minshew, uh, you know, as great of a start as he's had, six touchdown passes, three each in the first two games, uh, did not have a good game last night. It didn't seem like there was a lot of talent that was out there on the field for him, and so he ends up losing 31-13. to 13. Do, you, do you feel a little sorry for him? Because that's a bad football team. Yeah, it is, although uh, he's he's made magic happen before, but he got Minshewed up last night. Uh, I was more surprised that's the first time Miami's won a game by double digits in, what, three thir- years? Thir- yeah, 39 games, I think it is. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, but no, it was uh, it was not a, not a fun game to watch if you didn't have a rooting interest, that's for sure. No. I'm a, how bad do you think we're going to beat up Jim Moore tonight? At four. <laughs> I think there's a chance. He'll take his lumps, but he, he, he'll be more excited about the Pac-12 coming back, I imagine. Yeah. So talk about that. It's like uh, we didn't know if that was going to happen, but uh, it does happen. they got a seven-game schedule. They've got uh, starting on November 6th. It's a little late, but again, they're back. 
Well, they're back. Uh, there's a few things that still got to be worked out in terms of the schedule. Uh, they haven't quite figured out all the details yet. Uh, probably is going to ace them out of uh, any any consideration for um, for the college bowl playoff, although that hasn't been a factor for them for years. Um, you know, they they satisfied. They got the testing going the way they wanted, but uh, it's under a cloud of of Larry Scott's mismanagement and and the bonus scandal that I think is going to eventually do him in at the end of his contract, if not sooner. But uh, it does uh, lend a sense of normalcy to things, that's for sure. Yeah, it really does. And, of course, uh, good that they are able to do at least get some games in this year because, you know, you think about that, if they're going to be one of the major colleges of the, the big five, to think that you're going to play in January or February and then try to bounce back for next year. I mean, you know, they at least with the positive, with the testing that they're going to be able to have on a daily basis, uh, that, I think, opens things up and uh, gives them a chance. Yeah, real challenges for the Washington schools too. I mean, you know, the one thing kind of forgotten is you got two new head coaches. You yeah. know, one uh, in in the case of Jimmy Lake, who at least has been part of the program, so it's a little less of an adjustment for him. It's more of an adjustment of just being a head coach. But for Nick Rolovich, you know, it's 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 a brand new ball game, and you know, coming in under under less than ideal circumstances, it'll be interesting to see how they how they roll out this year. Mm-hmm. No, it is going to be fascinating to see because, again, it's such a, a different type of circumstance that uh, now you just have to try to figure it out and see where it can go. Um, but, you know, what's also going to be interesting, you know, particularly waiting all the way till November 6th, how many more top players in the Pac-12 and other conferences are going to opt out? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't think you've, you've seen as much of it, obviously, as you've seen in the pros, and that's not a surprise, but um, it'll it'll definitely be a factor, although... I think, you know, when you get right down to it, you've got uh, kids who are excited to play, and I think most of them, unless there are truly extenuating circumstances, will play, uh, you know, especially those who, who envision a, who envision a career beyond, uh, beyond college football. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's the question to be asked over the next month, and uh, then they'll be ready to roll. Yeah, because I know Oregon's left tackle, he's out. Uh, and, you know, there's been, what, three, maybe four Washington players that have opted just to wait for next year's draft. Yeah, uh, we'll see if they change their I don't know if they've they got the ability to change their minds or not. Um, we'll see if they do now that they're actually back and playing. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to be. That might have had something to do with playing spring football. Yeah, no question. So we'll see overall how that goes. But uh, yeah, you know, very interesting to see. Uh, you know the reports on that. Uh, wh- where, where do you think this Larry Scott situation is going to end up? With him fired. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's just it's been a very unimpressive off season. I think the if if nothing else, the optics are terrible on taking taking big bonuses and then firing a whole bunch of staff you know one of the things that was um kind of hinted at uh, and it wasn't spelled out in um in the press conference yesterday is that pac-12 might have some 9 a.m starts this year and, and they're saying that it's just uh it's just uh you know get them into good good spots and it's just a temporary thing but i think it's a terrible precedent to set i think 9 a.m starts are are absolutely ridiculous i saw what one one coach said it would mean uh, you know his, his team breakfast would be at five in the morning um, so, you know, I, I just think that, that decision along with a general lack of leadership and, and, uh, you know, the poor performance of the Pac-12 network has left the handwriting on the wall for Larry Scott, but they can do better. And I think they know it. Well, it's official. Now the Mariners are eliminated from playoff consideration. I was hoping maybe they were able to at least have today, today, today's game. So that at least they're still playing for something. Uh, it's not going to change what the team is, but, uh, the fact that they were able to get to the final weekend and be, uh, at least somewhat in the race. Yeah. Very impressive. Uh, again, you know, skewed by the fact that it's such a short season, but 
you know, the, the proof is in, if you watched them, you, you saw hopes for the future. It'd be one thing if this was a team that, that did this with, with a bunch of veterans and guys that you weren't, you weren't banging on for the future, but this was done on the backs mainly of the guys who you are banking on for the future. So, uh, again, I view it as a positive, but, um, it also is what it is, which is, uh, now the, tw- like the 20th year in a row without being in the postseason, um, or 19th year in a row without being in the postseason. So it's a, it's a stretch they certainly, they're certainly not proud of and want to end, and it's not going to end this year, but there's definitely hope for the future, it seems. Yeah, and there's no doubt that's going to be a good thing. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, I guess the next mission for Jerry DePoto is try to build up the bullpen. Well, I think that, and I, I do think that, as we talked about yesterday a little bit, look, you, you look at the example that San Diego and, and the White Sox set of, of, you know, bringing along their young prospects and then deciding to strike and, and add some add some free agent power and, and talent, and it works. So, you know, that might be the way that the Mariners go about building up their bullpen with, with free agency. They're, it's always a little dicey to do it that way, but that's the quick fix. Mm-hmm. And I do think that they're going to be in a position to look at uh, bringing in some veteran players and with the eye on contending in 2021. Okay, so now it's getting a little scary for the Seahawks. You know, it looks like it's questionable right now whether Rasheen Green and Benson Mayoa are going to play. Mayoa has a groin injury. The neck injury continues from the second week with Green. And, boy, you talk about a pass rush that could really does not have much. Well, it's just beginning to look more and more like a Madden game. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you see the predictions out there, and they're for scores in the 30s, maybe even the 40s. I mean, offensively, both teams are loaded defensively. Both teams are truly struggling, so uh, I think it's going to be, to say the very least, an entertaining game. And it's like I said, I, I was speculating with you yesterday that Seahawks would like to keep the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands as much as possible. But you know, we'll see if that's that's even something they can do, and if they want to do it. I mean, look, they're also in a position to be a team that can can certainly function very well in a shootout, as opposed to years gone by with the hottest quarterback in the league right now, and in DK Metcalf, uh, you know, a serious weapon, and and offensively there. They've definitely hit their stride, so uh, I think it'll be it'll be like the old uh, lighting up like a pinball machine this weekend. Yeah, it'll be kind of fun to watch. Sure, it's going to be scary, but again, the key right now is not making turnovers and then just making sure that uh, you know you get a chance to have lead, a double digit lead if you can. Well, I mean, you know, with Russell Wilson, be within a score. I mean, you can be behind and, and feel pretty confident going into the fourth quarter with that guy at quarterback. So. Be within a score is, is is definitely where you want to be, uh, and you take your chances with with the guy who's playing better than anyone in the game right now, and and that's how I feel. You know, going into most Seahawks games is is uh, you know just just be there in the fourth quarter and give give number three a chance to win, and the odds are you're going to win. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you I mean, see that's what history tells us. Did you see San Francisco's uh, injury list? Aside from losing two defensive linemen to injured reserve, D. Ford and uh, five other starters are going to be out. And you know, from week one, the 46 active players on their roster, 11 have been injured and knocked out last week. Well, that's going to be the trend that uh, you know for a league-wide thing that you're going to be looking at this week is to see if last week was an aberration or, or if in fact you know teams are going to get get waylaid by injuries because of the lack of uh, training camp continuity this year um, in week three. So we'll see. But, yeah, they, they, they're they right now, they're, they're facing adversity, but they may have company when this week's over, if, if, if this week is anything at all like last week was. That's our Daily Dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby. What's on the agenda for this weekend? Uh, John, playoffs, 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 and, and hopefully booting the Seahawks home. Oh, good. That'll be good. So, David, thank you, and we'll check with you on Monday. Sounds have a good, good weekend. John. 
And, of course, I'll be back uh, tomorrow morning from 8 until 9, taking your phone calls. And, of course, be back Monday. Our thanks to Boy Howdy, uh, to DJ Wilder, to everybody who's helped out on this show, to Matt Nelson. Again, back on Monday, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.